So true. So true. So I started thinking back to uh, a time that I thought was only four or five years ago, but then I started doing the math, and it was actually 14 years ago. I was playing disc golf at Downriver Disc Golf Course, which is somewhere, somewhere that direction. And it was, uh, like I said, years and years ago, I used to play quite a bit. And it was not uncommon for somebody just to be there and jump in to play with you a couple of holes. And that's what happened that day. Somebody was there playing by themselves, and they jumped in, played a, hole, a couple of holes with me, and the other guy I was playing with. And uh, we didn't think anything of it. Until the next day, I got an email from this guy. We hadn't exchanged any sort of information. He, he knew my name. That was it. Okay? But I got an email from him saying, hey, so good to play these holes with you yesterday. I'm starting a business in Spokane, and just in our time together, I could tell that you would be great in this company. Now, you guys laugh, but my heart jumped. Because at that point in our lives, Abby was pregnant with Sam, and we were really wrestling with God. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? What vocation do you want us in long term? And man, we've been crying out for God, and all of a sudden we get this email, and we think, God, is this your answer? So I shot the guy an email back, and I said, yeah, let's get together for coffee. And I got there early. I was eager. I was sitting there. I had my back to the wall. I was facing the people come in. And as soon as he walks in, I, I see him with two books, and my heart sank because I had seen those two books before. They were two books that other people had tried to uh, get me involved in this same company with. I'm not, I'm not saying anything poorly about the company, but you see, it, it was a company. It was a company that I did my research about. Okay, I had gone to a, 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 a seminar, or you could call it a rally, to learn more about them. I had, I had looked online about it. I did some research, right? Well, this was a company that wanted me to give some money up front, a significant amount, and, and then commit a fair amount of time to this company without any guaranteed results. I knew that that was not what was the right fit for me or my family. So when this guy walked in, I'm like, oh, I still got a cup of coffee. And I told him right off the bat, hey, buddy, I've already done my research. This is not going to be a fit, but, you know, go ahead and give me your spiel. Would you guys give to a company that you didn't know anything about? Would you give your time? Would you give your money? Dream with me for a little bit, okay? Let's say a new startup tech company, technology for those who are above the age of, well, I have to clarify it, okay? A new technology company comes to town and, and they're going to have this big open house. So they send out flyers everywhere. They put some things on TV. You even have a coworker who uses their product. So you've got to hear about this company before. And you got one of those flyers. Man, this open house is coming. Well, because your, your co-worker has been to this, whatever you want to call it, this little uh, uh, event before, you know a little bit about what it's going to be. You, you know someone's going to stand up. They're going to welcome you. There's going to be a few people who, who share how this product has impacted their lives. And, and then the president's going to stand up, and he's going he's to speak passionately and, and deeply about the effect that this product could have. And he really thinks it's going to change the world. And, and then somebody else is going to stand up and they're going, to, they're going to make this plea for money. They're going to ask you to invest. 
Oh, the best part was when you walked in, there was, there was a table with people sitting there that said, children, welcome. And you, you, could, you could have somebody watch your kids during this presentation. In fact, they'll put your kid's name on a sticker, put it on the kid's back. They'll give you a little thing that glows red if your kid starts to cry so that they don't have to deal with them. You go get them. It's just like Red Lobster. Okay? <laughs> Would you give to a company like this if you did not know what they were about? Would you give your time? Would you give your money? I see several of you shaking your head no. Should we expect anything less out of the church? If we are truly talking with people about coming to visit with us, if, if we are engaged in people who don't know Jesus, should we expect anything less than for them to do their research also? I mean, if you're telling them, you, you got to come check us out. <laughs> there's going to be this guy who stands up and welcomes you. Somebody's going to shout out from the, from the audience, and, and there's going to be laughter, and there's going to be a place where they give kids, and, and then there's a couple people are going to talk about how deeply it affects them, and then this, this, this guy's going to talk passionately, and then they're going to ask for money, and it'll be wonderful, right? Wouldn't you expect them to do their research? Well, here's the deal. For people who have not grown up in or around the church, their research these days it's going to be one of two things. They're going to hop online, which we have a quality website, which is good, or they're going to ask you questions. Their research is going to be church. Why should I go to church? What do you guys believe? Why in the world should I give up my Sunday morning football, gardening, boating, napping to get together with a group of people I don't know? What's that whole church thing about anyways? If they do their research, shouldn't you have an answer? And shouldn't you have an answer as it pertains specifically to First Church? God help us if we are the stumbling block that keeps somebody outside of the building where they can hear about, outside of a relationship with you where they can hear about this Jesus that we believe is life-changing. So shouldn't you know the answers to who we are, where we're going, how we're going to get there, what our values are, for us specifically at First Church? I think you should. Over the next five weeks or so, we are going to be doing a series called Discover Us. On the front of your little bulletin, it says Discover Us. There's even a little compass because that ties into what we've been doing since January, where since January, myself and our leadership has been going through a recalibrate process. We're one of 37 churches out of about 1,000 free Methodist churches that are very purposefully looking at who we are, why we exist, where we're going, how we're going to get there, what values will drive us. So over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about all these things. Now, for those who have been here for decades upon decades, I can tell you that what you're going to be hearing, for the most part, isn't new. It might be reworded, but it's not new. So breathe a sigh of relief. We're not changing everything. There is one part where our, our vision is really taking us somewhere, I'm not going to say different, but what God has called us to all along. But we'll get to that. This morning, we're going to start with our purpose. Our purpose. And we believe that our purpose really explains why we exist. 
why we exist. Why, as First Free Methodist Church, do we exist? We're going to jump right in. Our purpose is this. You've heard me say it before. Our purpose is to love God, love people, make disciples. Somebody say amen. Amen, because we, we've been saying that for a while. Our purpose is to love God, love people, and make disciples. This is not earth-shattering. This is not new. This is not even unique to us. You, you Google love God, love people, make disciples, and you're going to find some sort of variation on that on countless churches in countless different denominations. So we didn't make this up. Jesus did. We just took it from Scripture and we reworded it with periods in different places. Love God, love people, make disciples. This started in the story of Jesus as written by a guy named Matthew when there was a group of religious folk who were trying to trick Jesus, trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would get him into trouble that could discredit him. The story is told in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read it from the screen. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question Jesus again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? You catch what's going on here? A bunch of religious people trying to trap him because Jesus had been getting some, uh, well, some press, like our friends the Schluters. Okay, they've been getting some press, or he's been getting some press. So they're trying to trap him. We're on the same page here. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You see it in there? The first part of our purpose statement. Love God with all of you and love people as you would love yourself. Love God, love people. Jesus says all of this, all of this can be summed up in those two phrases. Love God, love people. So that's the first two-thirds of our purpose statement. What about that third part? Make disciples. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. Short little rabbit trail. Studies have shown that when you go to a concert, most people remember two songs, the first song and the last song. So let's look at Jesus' first song and his last song. Jesus' first song, we begin his ministry, the, the beginning song of his life. He goes around gathering this initial team of people with a simple phrase. He says, follow me. Be my disciple. He tells a group of four fishermen, hey, come follow me and I'll teach you how to be fisher of people. I'll teach you how to fish for people. And then another time, he, he goes and he, he sees this guy, Matthew, who I mentioned earlier. And he calls him in a slightly different way, but a slightly the same way. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collection booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me. Be my disciple. Now the word disciple is a churchy word that most people know, but some people don't. A disciple is a learner. It's a follower. It is somebody in that day and age, a rabbi. 
A rabbi would see different people and he would say, wow, that person has potential. But would you come and follow me? Let me teach you everything that I know. But he didn't stop there. It was more than just up here. So let me teach you everything that I know so that you can do everything that I do. Head knowledge and heart knowledge leads to action. So a disciple in that day, a rabbi would pick a disciple, say, let me teach you everything, and then you go and do what I do. Connect that with Jesus, okay? So this is what Jesus is doing. That's his first song, if you will. He goes around telling people, follow me, be my disciple. Fast forward three and a half years. A lot of miracles, a lot of healings, some crowd feeding, some demon casting, a, a, a brutal crucifixion, a miraculous resurrection. Jesus is, is on, this, uh, on this mountain with the group of people he's walked life with and who's been through all of that with him. And what's his last song? What's the last thing he tells them? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure that I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Go, Jesus says, and make disciples. You see it? It's our purpose. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. It's really quite simple when you boil it down. When you get to the barest of barest of bones, it's a combination of the great commandment and the great commission. It is why we believe that we exist as a church. Now, if we have people who have not grown up in the church, who don't speak Christianese, they're going to say, what does that practically look like? Tangibly, that's a great phrase to hang up on your wall. Love God, love people, make disciples. But seriously, how do you do that? Fair question. So we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking that. How do you love God? Let's start with that first third, okay? Somebody who's never been around church, who's never experienced Jesus, how do you love somebody you can't see? It's a fair question. And I would say, going simply today, that you love God in three ways. The first is this, you spend time with him. If you love a family member, you spend time with them, right? Same thing with God. If you love God, you spend time with him. This can be hard because we live in a culture that is addicted to go, go, going. So to actually stop and spend time with God takes intentionality. But wouldn't you know it, Jesus' half-brother, he must have caught on to the fact that he should spend time with Jesus because in his book, in his letter later in the New Testament, he wrote this, James 4, verse 8. He said, come close to God and God will come close to you. Spend time with God. God will spend time with you. We know what the psalmist said. He said, be still and know that I am God. I love hanging out with my sons doing things, right? I love playing catch with them. I love going boating with them, camping with them. I love watching their sporting events. But the things that make my heart smile the most is when they just want to come and be with me. And I with them, with no strings attached. That's how we show God our love. We come and we spend a time with him. This can be hard because in our go, go, go culture, we get busy. We get to the end of the day and we're exhausted, right? Or we start our day exhausted. A guy by the name of Charles Stanley, some of you have heard of him before, wrote this. He said, we can be tired, 
and weary and emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we find that he injects into our bodies energy, power, and strength. Spend time with God. Again, trying to think through this from the perspective of somebody who's never been around God, what does that, what does that look like? Well, it looks like time in here, in Scripture. This is the story of God. The story of God's interaction with us, the story of God's heart for us. Spend time in here not looking for the things I can and can't do, for the list of do's and don'ts. Spend time in here saying, God, would you teach me about yourself? There's a practical way. Spend time with a gathered community of other people seeking to figure out what it means to spend time with God. Spend time going outside on a walk, on your back deck drinking coffee, watching the leaves change. Spending time with God is going to look different for different people. That's okay. The, the thing we need to do, though, is prioritize. Prioritize the fact that we need to spend that time with him. We need to set that time aside. That will tell God that we love him. Now, how else should we love God? Not only should we spend time with him, we should talk to him. We should talk to him. That's the second blank in your bulletin if you're filling these out. We call this prayer. Now, as soon as you say the word prayer to people who've never been around church, there's this, <gasps> I don't know how to do that. What, what if I get it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing? Prayer is conversation. It doesn't have to be these and thous and forgivest and sanctifiest me. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something simple like, God, there's, there's some things weighing on my heart this morning, and can I share them with you? I'm stressed about these things. Can we talk? It's prayer. And prayer is going to look different for different people. We see this in the pages of Scripture early on. Prayer, I would say prayer is when Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the night with God, talking to him. It would look like me and uh, Pastor Michael walking in Riverfront Park. Talking, that would have been prayer. Now there's another time where a guy named Daniel, a lot of you know his story. A law was passed, he didn't like it, what did he do? He went and prayed, but he had set times when he prayed. Daniel chapter ten, uh, 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. So his prayer life was a little bit more set. There's this guy in the New Testament called Paul. Paul says we should strive to pray without ceasing. That's a fancy way of saying keep the conversation going throughout the day. Jesus prayed differently at different times. There were times where in the middle of whatever he was going through, in the middle of it, he'd stop and he'd pray out loud so that other people could hear him. We see this when he raised Lazarus from the dead. We see that when he's on the cross. He prays out loud. Now, there's other times where he just goes to the Father by himself. He goes away to the hills, Matthew 14, Mark chapter 1, goes up by himself to pray. So he prayed differently in different times. The fact of the matter is Jesus was saying, Father, I love you, and I'm going to talk to you in different ways. So how do we practically love God? We spend time with him. We talk to him. And the third thing, this is where it gets challenging. The guy on the video earlier kind of mentioned it. The third way that we show God that we love him is we sacrifice for him. Ooh, we sacrifice for him. In the Old Testament, this often looked like people bringing the best of their livestock or the best of their harvest to the temple and giving it to the, to the priests to do with what they would. 
Now, we can still do that. We take an offering. You can still give your financial or your material means. Uh, you could give them to, to not just the church, but to other people. That, that would be a way of sacrificing. But sacrificing is more than just that. Sometimes a sacrificing can also be being careful in what we say and do. We live in a culture that says, say and do whatever makes you feel good. Well, sacrificing could be watching what we say and do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate Christ. Be a sacrifice Now, that passage goes on to talk about there being no room for sexual immorality, impurity, greed. It says, watch your mouth. Don't take part in coarse jokes. In in verse 10, it says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord and then do that. That could be sacrifice. Because if we have to determine what will or will not bring a smile to God's face, one of the greatest things we can say to God is, God, I want to do it my way, but... I'm going to do it your way instead. That's sacrifice. So how do we love God? Spend time with him, talk with him, sacrifice for him. That's the first part of our purpose statement. Next, how do we practically love people? How about this? What if it's the same three ways? Don't fill in your blanks yet just in case it's not, okay? But what if it is? I mean, if, if you love somebody, aren't you going to do everything you can to spend time with them? Okay, there's a blank. Spend time with them. Aren't you? Aren't you going to do all you can to be around them? There's a great, great gem in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is when King Solomon is waxing eloquently about the meaninglessness of life. And then he gives us this in Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close to each other can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Essentially, be with people. Because there's strength in numbers. And this is one way to love them. Another way to love them? Talk with them. You can fill that blank in too. Talk with them. If you love somebody, you're going to communicate with them via verbal, via Facebook, via text, via email, via letter, via whatever it is. You're going to communicate with them. Scripture has all sorts of examples of two friends talking. A good one is Jonathan and David. These guys loved each other. Man, did they love each other. Their friendship is one of, of all ages. You look in 1 Samuel 18, you're going to see it described. They talked when things were going good. They talked when things were going bad. In fact, one of the many times that Jonathan's dad was trying to kill David, they were talking. 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 3. Saul, Jonathan's dad, now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him, They talked, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about it, and, and then I'll tell everything I can. 
to you. I'll tell you everything I can find out. They talked. It was an expression of their love for each other. When people love each other, they communicate. Now, the third way they express their love for each other is sacrifice for each other. They sacrifice for each other. You know your friend loves you when they go to the restaurant you want to instead of the one they want to. You know they love you when they go to the movie you want instead of the one they want. You know your friend loves you when they come and help you fix your sprinklers instead of doing their yard work. Right? When they put your needs above their needs, that's love demonstrated. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In John 15, Jesus was talking about what he was going to do on the cross, but the principle applies to us. The, the truth applies to us. John 15, 13, Jesus says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is sacrifice. So how do we love people? We spend time with them. We talk with them. We sacrifice for them. Love God, love people. Next question, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Nathan, our discipleship pillar, has been asking that question for the last three years. Whew. And if you have an easy answer during the ministry fair, go and talk to him. And then tell him, Nathan, I'd love to take over for you when your term is done at the end of this year. He would give you, he might even give you a hug. Maybe. <laughs> he says, I don't know about that. Maybe a high five. How do we make disciples of Jesus? It's an age-old question. Every church wrestles with this. Let's simplify. What if we could tell a disciple of Jesus by the fact that they spent time with him, they talked to him. They sacrificed for him. You can go and fill in those blanks. Okay? What if we could tell a disciple of Jesus by the fact that they spent time with him, they talked to him, and they sacrificed for him? When Jesus was originally gathering his group of 12, he did so with a very specific purpose. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Then Jesus appointed 12 of them and called them to be his disciples. They were to accompany him. They were to be with him. They were to spend time with him. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and to teach them. A lot of us know the story of Mary and Martha. Martha spent that extra time with Jesus. Jesus applauded her for it. You'll know you're a disciple of Jesus, or you'll know you're making disciples of Jesus when you spend time with him. Same manner as when we're spending time with God or spending time with people, you'll know you're a disciple of Jesus when you spend time talking with him. Yes, we call this prayer. And yes, his disciples did it. But it didn't always look the same, like I mentioned earlier. Jesus and his disciples were always in conversation. You read through the Gospels and you're going to see that. They were on a road going just about anywhere, talking. They were at somebody's house eating dinner, talking. When the disciples wanted to learn how to pray, they came to Jesus and said, teach us, talk to us. When Peter didn't like what Jesus was saying, he told him so. It didn't end well, but he talked to him. When Jesus was teaching the crowds and the disciples were confused, what did they do? They went to him and said, hey, can, can you help us understand? 
They talked to him. Mark chapter 4, verse 10, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable meant. The conversation with Jesus and the disciples wasn't always somebody with a microphone up front and a group of people out there, the disciples just sitting there listening, taking notes. It was conversation back and forth. We can have that still. Now, for the person who has never been in church, they're like, how can we have that with a person we don't see? Well, again, I'll tie us back to here, okay? There's four Gospels, Jesus' life story. Jesus talks a lot in those Gospels. In a lot of our Bibles, his words are in red. So go and see what he's saying. See if any of those things could be said to you. Converse back and forth with Jesus. How do you know you're making a disciple or being a disciple? You're spending time with Jesus. You're talking with Jesus. Finally, someone say it with me. What are you doing? Sacrificing for Jesus. You know you're a disciple of Jesus when you're sacrificing for him. The first four disciples Jesus called in the Gospel of Mark were fishermen. I mentioned them earlier. They were literally in the boats of their fathers. They were in the family business that they were going to take over, that they were going to inherit. This was going to be their livelihood, their kids' livelihoods, their grandkids' livelihoods. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. What'd they do? Got out of the boat and followed him. That sacrifice. Peter later, just in case Jesus didn't realize it, Peter later said that to him, Mark chapter 10. Lord, we've given up everything for you. And I think Jesus grinned. You know why? Because a couple, of, a couple of days earlier, he had laid it out for him. He had said this, Mark chapter 8. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you, want, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's sacrifice. That's discipleship 101. What does that look like practically? Jesus, I love Starbucks. Mm. And I could have Starbucks every week. But I know that four of those cups of coffee could feed a kid who doesn't have food over the weekend. I'm going to sacrifice for them. Jesus, I love my sleep. And I stayed up late last night watching the, uh, the premiere of Outlander. But I know I need to spend time with you. I know I need to talk with you. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up an hour earlier, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to sacrifice for you. Oh, Jesus, that girl I've been dating for the last three weeks, oh, it's love. This has been the best three weeks of my life, Jesus. She doesn't love you. I love you, so I'm, I know it's not going to work long term. So I'm going to sacrifice that relationship because I love you more. What a sacrifice for Jesus look like? Kind of depends. What does it look like to love Jesus, to make disciples? Time with? Sit up there? Talk to? Sacrifice for? How do we practically and tangibly love God, love people, and make disciples? Those three things. Time with? 
talk to, sacrifice for. Is it always going to be pink, pink butterflies and unicorns? No. Is it always going to be tiptoeing through the tulips? Absolutely not. It's going to be hard. Don't let anybody tell you anything differently, but it is worth it, and it is what God has called us to do. Very specifically, Jesus has called us to do. We've copied our purpose statement from him. So let's go back to where I started. If one of your friends who doesn't know Jesus that you've been talking to finally says, you know what, I, I'll consider going to church with you, but really, what's it all about? Think you guys could answer? If not, this sermon will be online tomorrow morning. Go back and listen to it again. And if you can't after listening to it, then it will still be online Tuesday and Wednesday. Love God. Love people, make disciples. It is why we are here, period. We got a ministry fair where we actually have opportunities for you to grow in these areas. Now, I'm going to ask that you give the people who have the little booths a little bit of time to set it up so uh, you guys mingle in here for a few minutes. But we have opportunities to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, to grow in your deepening of discipleship with Jesus. We don't have all the opportunities, you know, and maybe they're not all, all, all right, but we do have some, and we think that they will push us towards that. So I want to encourage you guys don't leave. Okay? Take some time to walk through these ministry booths at the ministry fair. As Elena said, there's a prize. We're going we're to bribe you to walk to all the different booths. There is an opportunity to win a gift card. Um, but you got to ask some questions at these different booths. you got to figure out what the ministries are. We do that because there's some new ministries that are going on. And some of you have been here for decades upon decades, and maybe you think, well, we're doing the same things we've always done. Yes, but no. We're doing different things. But everything we're doing ties back to loving God, loving people, making disciples. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to watch a three-minute video of one of the ways that we can practically love God, love people, and make disciples. It's a ministry that we partner with. Most of you have seen this video before. For those who haven't, we'll have sign-ups out there at the ministry fair. And if you have any questions at any given time, ask Heather. Heather, raise your hand. That's Heather. She's going to be the first table that you stop at because you've got to get directions for how to do this thing. And you can't tell them what to I want them to talk to you. It's part of, it's part of the, loving, the loving others, the loving people part. Spend time with them. Talk, talk to Heather. You will be fulfilling part two of section 3A, paragraph 7 of this message. Thanks. I'm going to pray. God, I know that sometimes church can be confusing. Church can be hard to understand. It, it can, it, we can leave with more questions than we come with. This morning, I don't think that was the case. God, we, we want to love you. We want to love people. We want to make disciples. And we think that we can do that pretty simply by spending time with, by talking to, and by sacrificing for. God, I, I begin to imagine what would happen if I did that well in my own household. I begin to imagine what, what would happen if our entire congregation did that well in their immediate neighborhoods. 
God, I can imagine what that would look like if every church, the 350 churches in Spokane, started loving you, loving people, and making disciples in a way we've talked about today. We would have a different city if that was the case. So would you help us, Father? Help us take little steps towards achieving our purpose as a church. And as you do that, we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.